it's interesting. I'm sure neither of us intended to talk about this, but it would be an, a very interesting thing for somebody who is a genuine investigative journalist, a real investigative journalist, to, to do a deep dive into um, foundation money and grant money from certain institutions that are basically buying Catholic uh, media entities and making sure that they tout the Zionist line. Ah. Because you have such things. Yes. This happens. Yes. And I, I spoke to an attorney, a Catholic attorney from, um, he, he was from Ohio. He okay. was from um, where, where, the, where the famous university is, right? Steubenville. And he was telling me how they get grant money from certain institutions, and they got grant money to basically buy them into the uh, COVID-19 lies. And therefore, they had to pound out this stuff. So there are certain entities and, and, and various websites, and I won't name them because I, I've been told this stuff. I haven't, I haven't um, sufficiently seen it corroborated, I, but I've been told it by trustworthy people, so it's probably true, but I don't want to smear anybody because maybe they're not doing it now. But certain prominent, traditional-ish conservative Catholic websites have taken bucks from Christian Zionist entities, which don't care what you say. They don't care about what you say about the Trinity or Jesus or the Church's mm -hmm. liturgical calendar or moral issues or anything like that until it comes to Support for the state of Israel. As yes. long as they can buy that from you. And they do this with entities all over the spectrum. So, and, and you, would, you would be shocked to know what, what one of the entities that took apparently decent sums from Adelson, Sheldon Adelson, one of his, one of his organizations, to basically buy them into the whole Christian Zionist narrative. So when I said all you got to do is sell out, I, that's what I had in mind. You know, you get yeah. grant money and you, suddenly you can do things that you couldn't do before. You know, uh, Sheldon Adelson uh, is a casino operator. Um, he gave a lot of money. Uh, okay, before uh, the first guy that came out in 2016 for Trump was Steve Wynn. Okay, Wynn's a big uh, Zionist Israeli casino owner guy. But Sheldon Adelson, that name is always lurking right there. Uh, uh, there's, a, there's a group called the American-Israeli Alliance PAC, AI PAC, right? They have a big hoop-de-doo dinner in Mordor on the Potomac every year. If you're on the guest list, or if you go or you speak, you're a Zionist. There is hardly a member of Congress that you don't know by name that you may think that you like that hasn't been to AIAPAC. So they played the long game. As a matter of fact, you know, Michael Warren, I know you have your issues with, uh, with MWD, so I won't bring him into it, but he did send me a book that Sophia uh, Institute, Institute Press has republished. It's called um, Triumph. It's the best of Triumph magazine. And mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, and it has uh, some very. Yeah, that, 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 that's a very valuable. They they do they do some really good work. I know he works for them. I did. I I'm not. Uh, remember what I told you, about, Mike, about personalities. I don't get into the personality wars. I I, I try to get into the issue wars. Understood. Uh, so Michael sent me had a, a copy sent to me of. You would like this book. As a matter of fact, I, <laughs> maybe I can conspire and get a copy for you. Um, uh, it, it's the it's Triumph Magazine's greatest basically greatest hits, and they break it down into five uh, to six categories. The first one is all about the, the church, and I'm reading an essay right now. It was written in 1976. Um, oh gosh, who wrote it? Maggie, Maggie, can you go get my Triumph book for me, please? Where's that? Uh, it's on the it's on the it's on Which the table. Library. Yes, it's in it's in the library. No, not the one with the toilet in it. The other one, <clears throat> uh, the actual <laughs> library. <laughs> so, my mother, who's a librarian, would be horrified. <laughs> it was a joke, a, t a terrible joke. I, I'm uh, reading no, a story about triumphalism, and um, uh, I, I had not heard or thought of it in the terms that he put it 
and uh, this is I mean, this is this is a 900-page volume that Sophia Press put back out. Christopher Derrick in defense of triumphalism, and um, it's all about. Oh, Christopher Derrick, he was great. He says, in the fashionable Catholic vocabulary of today, triumphalism is one of the very dirtiest words. In almost any context, in almost any company, you can rely upon it to elicit, or elicit rather, the sharpest kind of negative response. A four-letter word three times over, it outrages the particular kinds of prudery and puritanism that now prevail among us. And he wrote this in May, I give you the wrong date, this is in May of 1970. And his his essay, which I'm uh, about ha halfway through reading, is all about this uh, this idea of triumphalism, which you know what it is. Our listeners may not, but basically that okay. Sometimes we say it like this, and this may be a kind of a cousin or an accident of triumphalism. We know in the end her immaculate heart will triumph. Okay, that's not the triumphalism he's talking about. Triumphalism he's talking about is basically your subject for today, from your ad rim. We're at the end of the liturgical year. This past Sunday, we got this scary, this terrifying reading from St. Matthew, or St. Mark. St. Matthew. St. Matthew. St. Matthew. Got this terrifying reading. It sounds like it came from St. John the Evangelist's Apocalypse. Got this terrifying reading of, uh, of our Lord telling us what the end of time is going to look like. You know, Father Damien did about a half an hour on this, and he was just going, you know, you know piece by piece, because what, what, what he thought, the, uh, what, what does this mean, what does that mean? Um, you have an ad rima out about, the, uh, about this, but at the end of time, the church will be uh, 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 trying triumphant right is that that's where we get the church triumphant well yeah i mean so there are three parts segments sections of the church three states you might even say of the church the church the church suffering the church <laughs> hello good morning the church militant mm -hmm. that's us okay in in other words the church militant is the church fighting it out on earth right right we we ain't dead yet um the church suffering and purgatory and lastly the church triumphant in heaven and they all three exist now eventually there will only be the church triumphant after right. the after this after the uh, last judgment well uh, apparently the neocons of the day didn't want any any talk of triumphalism because it may mean people to start acting all catholic key and stuff like it mattered <laughs> like if you want to be a part of the church triumphant you kind of got to get to heaven so, so if, if you're not a part of the church triumphant and it's the end of time, well, then, you know, stinks to be you. <laughs> it turned out really bad. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't finished the essay, and I've never. And I, so you knew this Derek gentleman. I never heard of him. Christopher Derek. Yeah, I've got, I've got, I got one of his books on my, yeah. He wrote a, he wrote a book called the, that Strange Divine Sea or something like that that I've read years ago. And I, ha I think I have it on my, I think I have it on my little bookshelf in my cubicle. But yeah, he, he was an impressive guy. So, uh, brother, walk us through your uh, your uh, your ad rim because I think it's very interesting. And it's by the way, you know, are there any Gary Potter articles in that? Trial? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, there's a bunch so of Gary Potter articles in here because Gary Potter was one of the he was one of the chief contributors to that effort. Yeah, if you go, Solange Hertz also was. There, there was there were a few who would go on to do things afterwards. Um, another one was uh, uh, Fritz Wilhelm. Fritz uh, Wilhelm Wilhelmson. I, Wilhelmson. Yes, um, his daughter. You interviewed. I've interviewed his daughter numerous times. Yeah, um, I have. Uh, so he, so he was, he was an amazing guy. I mean, um, they, they had some incredible writers. Well, Triumph on Triumph, uh, Frederick uh, uh, Wilhelmsen, a parting of friends. That's on the first uh, uh, section. Um, the, uh, the the Liturgy Club. Gary K. Potter is in the first segment. Um, there are a couple of Gary Potters in here. There's a bunch of, uh, there's several Frederick uh, Wilhelmsons. There's a bunch of Michael Lawrence. Um, you'd recognize probably everyone in here, uh, brother. You, you, I'm sure you read almost all of them. There's uh, Aaron, uh, uh, Ann W. Carroll. There's Warren Carroll. Um, there's a lot of yeah, L. Brent Moselle. Yeah. And yeah. people don't know, William F. Buckley did have a good tree of his family tree his nephew brent bozell uh brent was a trooper 
and uh, Brent ran the Media Research Center, and uh, an offshoot of that is still around today. It's called Newsbusters, um, and Brent sp he spun off from that CIA tree with Buckley, you know, because he started with the National Review. You know, I think they were all together when they came up with the idea for the the granddaddy of all these newspapers and and uh, uh, periodicals, Human Events. I know that uh, I don't know if you ever had him at the center or you ever met him, but I got I was graced with the with the the honor of interviewing Stan Evans, M. Stanton Evans. And uh, Stan was one of those guys. I'm surprised I didn't see him in, in, in Triumph because I know that he, he wrote and, and ran in those circles. But in any event, brother, we could do a show on on, tri on, on Triumph one day. Uh, let's talk about your ad rim because I think it's very timely. Um, and it has some really uh, interesting components to it. Part of it astronomical, which, you know, most people don't think about the liturgical calendar, but the liturgical calendar from Ash Wednesday or from Fat Tuesday forward um, is based on astronomy. Right, you could backtrack that and say, say uh, Septuagesima, Jesima uh, is also, but you know we get some of the dates of the year that the calendar is based on because of where the moon is and and uh, where or where it's not, um, and so there is there is this uh, as Brother Francis or would call as philosophers would call there's a cosmological component to it, and sanctifying time as the world ends is the title of the ad rim. Y'all can find it at catholicism.org so let's dive into it brother yes 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 let's let's um i mean the the idea is uh, uh there's a there's a too little knowledge i guess among the faithful about some of these matters where astronomy actually does tie into the church's liturgical calendar and i'm not saying astrology obviously right. one one's the fake uh religion <laughs> The other is the actual science of the motion of, of the heavenly bodies. And, um, you know, it says in Genesis that when God created these things, the, the heavenly bodies, he's, he made them for signs and for seasons, right? For signs and for seasons. And lest anyone say that tying in astronomy to religion is necessarily pagan or heathenish or syncretic or some, some other such thing that's bad, um, we should also point out, not only does Genesis say that they were created for signs and for seasons, but there were astronomical signs given in the Bible for the birth of the Messiah, among other things. But, um, for instance, the star that would rise out of Jacob that was prophesied by Balaam, who was a pagan prophet, but his prophecies recorded in the book of Genesis, that prophecy stuck in the East and it stuck for a very long time so that when some important guys in, um, in Iraq, what's now Iraq, um, who were known as uh, magicians or magi, uh, saw a star that was not expected, saw this star rising in, out of the east, and they looked at it and they realized this was a fulfillment of that prophecy. And they uh, followed that star, and that's when they came to discover Messiah, and he, he, the Messiah, and hence that's when we get uh, the one, the, what is in the Western calendar anyway. The chief mystery of uh, the Epiphany is the the visit of the Magi to the mm -hmm. newly born Christ and uh, the Holy Family. So that is uh, that is. That's just sort of an apologia for, you know, if you're going to say, because there are a lot of fundamentalist types, you know, sort of the crude kind of um, gutter, gutter Protestant, uh, who are going to say, well, that's heathenish, you know, that's pagan to talk about astronomy. Um, no, it's not. Uh, and again, God made the, the, the heavenly bodies, according to the Bible, according to the book of Genesis, for signs and for seasons. And one of the signs he made it clearly them for was the, the star that arose to reveal to the, to the Gentiles the, uh, the birth of uh, the Messiah, the birth of God in time. So um, with that said, the church's liturgical year is very contingent upon these, uh, the, the movements of the heavenly bodies, the sun and the moon. And that's why I quoted in that piece, um, uh, Praise ye him, O sun and moon. It's, it's a, from, from one of the uh, Psalms. It's all, there's a similar line in, in the uh, book of Daniel as well. 
uh, when when the various these two Old Testament authors quote uh, or they they summon as it were all of creation to join them in the praise of God. So praise ye Him, O sun and moon, from Psalm one forty eight verse three. Now, uh, the, the sun and the moon do praise him uh, in the various um, equinoxes and solstices, in the various uh, 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 full moons and so forth, because we hang a lot of the liturgical year on these realities. For instance, what is the Feast of Feasts? What is the, the, what, what the Roman Waterology calls the Feast of Feasts and, our, no, the Solemnity of Solemnities and our Pasch. What is that? That's what we call in the ang Anglosphere uh, Easter. It's it's called by other names. It's called by some variation of the word Pasch in uh, most other languages. Um, we 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 English have inherited. We English speakers have inherited uh, naming it after the ironically enough the pagan god of the East. Um, Anyway, uh, this this uh, is there's a clear definition for when Easter falls, and this definition comes from the Council of Nicaea, the same council that defended the divinity of our Lord against the Arian heresy and did some other things as well. But they gave they there was a huge controversy at the time about the dating of Easter. Some wanted it on the equivalent of 14th Nisan. Uh, in the Jewish calendar, some wanted it, you know, fixed to a date, the date upon which our Lord resurrected. Some wanted it fixed to uh, a day, the Sunday, uh, and there were various ways of reckoning it, and it was a very big controversy. And what what, what happened at the Council of Nicaea, which unfortunately did not settle it historically in fact, because the controversy continued to rage for a couple hundred years, and it spread to different places, including Ireland, by the way. Mm. But in uh, England, uh, there was there was a yeah there, there was a huge controversy about that. Um, but it settled it in principle by giving us a definition of when Easter occurs. And Easter is the first Sunday after the first full moon on or after the vernal equinox. Makes sense. Now that. That first full moon occurring on or after the vernal equinox or the spring equinox when day and night are equal, the day, daylight and nighttime are equal in, um, in uh, spring, because there's another equinox on the other side, right? The fall equinox. That's right. Uh, the vernal equinox or the spring equinox um, is, is um, uh, when, when, as soon as it happens... Um, the the uh, first Sunday occurring on or after uh, the, the vernal equinox, that's the definition of Easter. And by the way, that moon, that particular full moon, is for that very reason called the Paschal full moon. Um, you'll find this in the Farmer's Almanac. You'll find this in various secular sources which refer to it as the Paschal full moon. Uh, so that is the definition of Easter, because the church apparently, okay, so St. Augustine tells us that in Christmas, we, we, it's the date that's important, uh, December 25th, the date upon which it actually occurred, which by the way, since December coincides with the Hebrew Jewish month of Kislev, um, or Kislev, as it said, as it said in the Douay Old Testament in English, but it's the month of Kislev to the Jews. 25th Kislev is the Feast of Hanukkah. So the, the, our Lord was born on Hanukkah, the Festival of Lights. And that year, it was also this, the winter solstice, the darkest day of the year, right. upon which the light of the world is born, right? So we can see that there's a, a reason for these um, astrological events, because they're here, again, for signs and for seasons. And they give us the holy seasons of the churches here, but they also give us signs and it's very significant that the Festival of Lights for the Jews, a, a feast that was fairly minor and which, which existed uh, for less than 200 years by the time our Lord comes around, uh, is fulfilled in the birth of our Lord in, in, on that very day. Which, uh, so so he was, a, he, was a, a light to the, uh, uh, he was a light to the he was a light to the Gentiles and the glory of the people Israel, huh? 
That's what Simeon says in your your birthday's mass, right? <laughs> the, Candlemas. The mass, for, the mass for Candlemas. He's a light unto the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And that's fulfilled in the birth of our Lord uh, on that day. He's a light to the Gentiles by being born on the winter solstice. And he's the glory of thy people Israel by being born on the anniversary of, of, of the reconsecration of the temple after it was purified of the pagan junk that Antiochus Epiphanes IV put in it, and it was reconsecrated with all these candles, all these menorah in it, which lit it up. So that's why it's the Festival of Lights. Jesus fulfills the glory part for the Jews and the uh, light part uh, for the Gentiles. So um, we get that in December, but if you look at these... Um, um, solstices and equinoxes further of course I, I just you know attached it to Easter the most important of the festivals and I if you if you want to know what's the what's that definition of Easter again when does it happen I put it in the article uh, which I don't know if anybody's thrown it in the chat room yet but um, I haven't been in there I, I have it open but I haven't been going in it um, it, it, it distracts me too easily um, th anyway th that um, particular festival Easter, our most important, hangs on the on the vernal equinox. But if you look, there are the four seasons are sanctified, as you know, by the ember days, right? You That's make right. a big deal about the ember days when they roll around appropriately enough, and we know that they they happen in the winter, spring, summer, and fall, um, respectively. Now there are also four feasts on what we call the sanctoral cycle. Remember, there's the temporal cycle. That's the that's the cycle of our Lord's mysteries. Okay. It's good. That's going to begin next Sunday with Advent. Actually, Saturday with Vespers. It's going to begin. The temporal cycle for the new year will begin. And um, it will end with the Sunday that we just finished, the 24th and last Sunday after Pentecost, which this year we celebrated as the 26th Sunday after Pentecost. And there's a reason for that numerical... Um, that numerical seeming contradiction there, which I can explain if you want me to later. But the, um, the, there's also the sanctoral cycle, okay? So that's not Our Lord's Mysteries. That's the Feast of the Saints, Feast of Our Lady, Feast of the Saints, etc., etc. Uh, so we get, uh, for instance, um, the, the temporals, but, but, but they're, they're very much, sorry, I have to shut my phone that's up. That's all right. The temporal cycle is, is also glued to the sanctoral cycle in this respect, that St. Andrew's Feast, which is, the, which is tomorrow. Tomorrow. And, um, it's also my mother's birthday, by the way. Um, St. Andrew's Feast is uh, the, the, the definitive thing for establishing when the first Sunday of Advent is. And how does that work? Well, uh, Advent uh, is defined, the first Sunday of Advent is defined as the Sunday nearest to the Feast of St. Andrew. Not, it's, and it, so it can be before or after. It's not the Sunday, you know, it's not the nearest Sunday after, it's the nearest Sunday to it. And as we understand, the week is lopsided, being of odd days, right? Seven days. It can fall, it can be closer on the, uh, on, on the before side and it can be closer, or it could be closer on the after side, right? Make sense? This year's on the after side. This year's on the after side, that's right, because tomorrow's the Feast of St. Andrew, and this coming Sunday is the, is the first Sunday of Advent. So it's on the before side, but it can be on the after side. Um, so the, uh, the, so the, it's the temporal cycle, it's the sanctoral cycle, by the way, it's the sanctoral cycle that I took a look at a little bit more closely in this piece that I wrote, because there are four feasts that fall on very near those four astrological events that I just named. Um, I, I, I didn't actually name them, but I talked about the solstices and the equinoxes. So the vernal or spring equinox falls around March 20th. Now there's wiggle room, and I actually linked to, it's not wiggle room, what's the, there's, there are precise datings of the astronomical event every year. And because of that, you have to get these tables which show us that what, what, what exact date and what exact time, actually, those things are going to occur this year. And some, you know, they chart them out for, I don't know, 100 years or something, some of these things. 
But uh, you can find these kinds of things in uh, the the Farmer's Almanac. You can find it in uh, various... Isn't that interesting? Uh, the, it's in the Farmer's Almanac. <coughs> yeah, weather.gov. You know, there's some, some weather sites... Uh, that the government has with that has these charts. That's one of the the one I linked to because I love the government so much. Like you might, <laughs> figured we'd link to enamored it. Enamored with it. Enamored with it, brother. Yeah, I want your tax dollars to go to work. So I linked <laughs> to it. I don't I don't pay taxes. So, uh, so the vernal or spring equinox is around March twentieth. Now that's very near to the Annunciation, March twenty fifth. Right now, I I, I believe uh, that the actual Annunciation took place on March twenty fifth. And it was also the spring equinox that year. Yes. Now, we, we also have that day, March 25th, being the anniversary of the first day of creation, which is, a tr that's the tradition, that the first day of creation was March 25th. Okay, so first and day of creation, Annunciation, that's the anniversary and, of the and crucifixion one more, of there's one more. The crucifixion. Right. Good Friday, the first Good Friday. So this is these are Catholic traditions. Now, um, it's kind of cool that the first day of creation, upon which God separated the light from the darkness, even though the sun and the moon weren't created yet, because you know obviously God couldn't make light or darkness without the sun or moon. But uh, that was a joke. Anyway, um, <laughs> the the uh, sure he could. He just had to use science. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so the, the, the light and the darkness are separate on that first day, which means, if it's March 25th, uh, th that would start off the equinox, right? It would, the first day would be equal night and equal day, because that's when God separated the light from the darkness. I don't know if anybody else has pointed this out but me. Probably, because I'm not that clever that I'd be the only person to ever notice this in history. But, um, yeah, it's, it's scratch that. It's not possible. But um, I'd be curious to know who else did. Anyway, so the vernal equinox you happened You mean the, the three dates? Or the, no, 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 or, the, or the, the dividing the, of, the light, of the light from the dark? No, the, the, yeah, no, that, that, that narrow point of the dividing, the, the, the separation of the light and the darkness on a day when they would be equal, right, in the future, the, namely the, uh, the vernal equinox. It's, it's almost as though it was kind of intended yeah, no. so it's almost like it's almost like God did it. Can I, can I let me interject something really quick here? Um, with uh, let me reset first. Brother Andre Marie, host of Reconquest Radio, here on the Crusade Channel. This is Wisdom Wednesday. We are your home for the 2023. Have yourself a merry Amanda little Christmas uh, sweepstakes and contests. You can play at CrusadeChannel.com forward slash Mary, and I hope that you will. Um, secondly, you'd mentioned that uh, that. Uh, it's not just the day that there's actually can come down to the hour and second uh, of the day if you really want to uh, deep dive into it. Well, this is why we have leap year because it's not exact. Yeah. You have to make you have to, in order to keep the clock running correctly. Every four years, you have to add a 24 hour or take away. Oh no, you have to add a 24 hour period so that these things sync up. If you don't do that. Well, then in, in what, in, uh, in 40 years, your clock is going to be 10 days out of sync. It's not going to work. Your, your equinoxes aren't going to fall on or around March the 21st or what have you. So it does come down to hours and seconds, actually. How phenomenal, though, before there were iPhones and iPads and calculators, that ancient mathematicians, who is it, Gregory the 14th that did the calendar? 13th. 13th. Um, where actually, actually, by just good old-fashioned, not good old-fashioned, you know what, but good old-fashioned <laughs> mathematics sitting there, and they actually, they had sextants, and they measured, like I was talking about earlier, they measured the, uh, the azimuth off of the horizon from a point that, that they'd set certain. Um, th this, to me, is the most fascinating thing about the ancient world, that they got almost all of this stuff correct. We have computers and, and, and massive calculating processors that do this stuff for us. They actually had to calculate it. They had to map it. They had to watch it. They had to, put, they had to chart it. And they got it right. So can I tell you something about the Council of Nicaea that you will probably find fascinating I, in light of what you just said? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I set that up so if you said no, you'd look really bad. Uh, <laughs> what does it? That's a low hurdle there, bro. <laughs> low okay. bar. 
<laughs> okay, but seriously, there is a there is a, a very edifying, interesting sort of hey, I didn't know that kind of thing from the uh, Council of Nicaea. They they defi- they defined the date, right? They 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 defined when Easter is. But what they said was this: Rome will tell the world when Easter is. But the Egyptians, the Alexandrians, right? Because the Alexandrian Patriarchate was massively important. Its bishop was there in the person of St. Alexander of Alexandria. And a young deacon was his, uh, a talented and intelligent and holy young deacon was with him uh, helping as his paritas at the, at, the, at the council, his expert, his theologian, you might say. And that was uh, St. Athanasius. Yeah. Who eventually would become the, a bishop and then the patriarch of uh, of, of of Alexandria and succeed Saint Alexander of Alexandria, but Saint so Saint Alexander was there. The Alexandrians were well represented at Nicaea, and what Nicaea said was, since the Egyptians are so good at this stuff, they didn't use the word stuff. Um, they they will tell Rome when the vernal equinox is. So they set it up so that the people who had the technology, now, you know, they know that these pyramids were, were more than just burial mounds or burial crypts, you know, above ground tombs. Um, they, you know, they had something to them. Uh, perhaps they were astrological observatories. But we know that the ancient Egyptians knew an awful lot about astronomy. And they uh, you know, knew a lot about the motion of the heavenly stars. And what was said by the fathers of the Council of Nicaea was, since the Romans don't have this knowledge, and the Egyptians do, they will tell the Romans when the uh, vernal equinox is. And then based upon that, applying the definition of Nicaea, the, uh, the, the Romans will tell the world when Easter is. So that's kind of a that's kind of a, a neato fun fact. It is a fun fact. Um, it's, paying, it's the it's the West. It's the Romans paying tribute to the superior knowledge of astronomy that the Egyptians had, um, go, which went back very far. So yeah, so there's that. So now, I, do, can we keep going through our yes. four um, astronomical events? Yes. So the summer sol- summer solstice falls around June twenty first which is very close to the nativity of St. John the Baptist. Um, The autumnal or fall equinox falls on September 23rd, which is the exact date of a, what what would be for us in the West an obscure sounding feast, but it's a big deal in the East. Um, September 23rd is the feast of the conception of St. John the Baptist. Um, Dom Guéranger points this out in his um, in his liturgical year someplace, talking about um, the, 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 that feast that's celebrated in the East. And I checked it out. I, I, fa- I fact check myself all the time on these things. And I found I linked to a Ukrainian Catholic website that has a little description of the feast of uh, September twenty third, the feast of the Conception of Saint John the Baptist. And uh, and lastly, the winter solstice, which is generally around December twenty first which is very near Christmas on December 25th. Now, you might say, well, well, there's a lack of precision here. Well, uh, if you read an article that I wrote years ago, many moons ago, to stick with the astronomical theme. Yes, that's... Um, <laughs> it, it's called In Defense of Christmas. In that article, In Defense of Christmas, um, I went at great length illustrating how it's possible. I couldn't prove it QED but illustrating how it's quite possible that December 25th was not only the anniversary of Hanukkah, but the literal uh, uh, the literal exact date of the winter solstice that year. I went to some pains doing it. And I actually had a Protestant guy write me, years after that had, thing had been online, uh, a few years ago he wrote me and said, you know, I read this piece and I want you to know I've done many, many, many hours of study of this question. And here's the long thing that I wrote. And you're exactly right. Um, so, you know, for what that's worth. <laughs> so, so uh, uh, to, to, to recap for the heart of hearing, in the year 00 AD, basically, the winter solstice did occur on 25 December, not 21. Yeah. I've seen this before. Maybe I read yours. How long ago did you write this? Oh, many, many moons ago, Mike. I think it was published on our website on 2000, in 2005, but I had written it years before that. It was in our, it was in our 
magazine that we used to publish from the housetops. Um, uh, uh, that's just ringing a bell. Um, I have knowledge of this. I've read it before or I've heard it from someone else. Might have even been Robertson Jenis or someone uh, and the Galileo was wrong uh, or Rick Delano uh, or one of them. But yeah, that's a fascinating thing because you know you say well on or around the 21st. Of course, you put the date on the calendar. It's the winter solstice. Today's the 21st. But again, counting uh, if you factor the leap year in long, short, um, 25th of December, 00 AD. Interesting. So work, do, can, do you have a link for that article so people, if they want to read it? I just popped it in the chat room, okay. good, sir. It's called go. In Defense of Christmas, and it's on Catholicism.org. By the I, way, we have a kicking search engine on Catholicism.org. Yes, I'm and jealous. And I have people writing me saying, I know you had an article on this thing, but I can't find it. Thinking, yeah, all you got to do is use a search engine. We pay for it. We pay a lot. That jetpack search engine is extremely expensive. Oh, you just gave a trade secret away. It's a jetpack. That means it costs lots of money. Yeah, over six hundred dollars <laughs> a year. Oh yeah, jetpack is not. That's why we don't have one, brother. Yeah. Same reason I don't have an IP guy. Yeah. <laughs> I just need to sell out, and I can get jetpack. That's right. <laughs> let's become let's become Christian Zionists and theistic evolutionists, and we'll probably get all kinds of grant money. We're gonna do a we're gonna do a GoFundMe for someone who's gonna who's gonna donate the money for CrusadeChannel.com to get a jetpack search engine. I think you can buy it from multiple sites too. You probably can. Oh, in any event, I don't want to take yeah. away from your time. Let's yeah, get but, back. To but our website's kind of enormous, and and and, and the jetpack thing is scaled based upon the size of your site. Because of course, it has to keep caching all the all, the, all ah. of your sites, so it can have such a fast search engine. Okay, all right, that explains anyway, it. So um, that's all. Uh, enough of that geek talk. Well, in shop one talk, more right? geeky thing, and I'm only going to drop this in because um, I have to do. I'm blessed to be able to do the announcements and a little hagiographies uh, before mass for Father Damien, and so first thing I do every. Sunday is go into the sacristy and I ask the sacristan or the MC, what did you set the missile to today to make sure I get the day right? So I tell people, you know, which Sunday they're going to be reading in their Father Lassant's missile, for example, or St. Joseph or St. James missile. Um, so the first thing I do is I go in and I ask. And I said, well, <clears throat> on the 24th Sunday, which was two weeks ago or three weeks ago, he said, I set it to the sixth or the fifth Sunday after Epiphany. Or was it fourth Sunday after Epiphany? Fourth Sunday after Epiphany. And of course, you know, I played dumb because I am dumb and I had no idea. What you, I'm like, okay, you're going to have to walk me through this. And my friend Philip LeBlanc did walk me through and he goes, okay, here's how it works. Why don't you explain to our listeners because they probably want to, are wondering, well, we just had the 26th Sunday after. How, how come we didn't read the 25th Sunday from the missile? Well, there's a reason why. It, 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 it may be too verbose to explain. I mean, I understand it now, but it's actually... It's actually pretty easy. It's, it's printed in your missile, too. If you read 24, 25, 26, and 27, the intro to it from Father Lassant's, he explains it pretty well. Yeah, the Lassant's missile will explain it, or my favorite missile, the St. Andrew's missile. Okay. Um, they, they, they'll, uh, any decent missile, hand missile, is going to tell you. But the proper name for the Sunday... Is and this is why I knew I had to put a little thing on that on that in this piece. I had a, an interesting little. It wasn't an argument. It was just an exchange with a very knowledgeable Catholic lady. I won't name her because I'm not into shaming people online or well on the air. But um, really, she's a good Catholic lady. I met her, um, but she's well known on the internet. Um, I met her in person once years ago in Rome. But um, she, uh, I I made reference to this you know how I do this thing called uh, what's in that prayer and I have the uh, translation of the of the collect from the I did this a couple years ago but I obviously I keep rehashing it every year when it comes up here is the collect for the 24th and last Sunday after uh, Pentecost so this lady puts it was the 26th so uh, rather than be a jerk, you know, uh, I said, okay, teachable moment. So I said, uh, well, actually, the proper name, even though it was, in fact, the 26th Sunday after Pentecost, the proper name for this Sunday in the Missal is the 24th and last Sunday after Pentecost. Mm. Pentecost excuse me. And the reason for that seeming contradiction is this. That 
Sunday Mass, in other words, that grouping of propers with this, this epistle and this gospel and these orations and so forth, that Mass is always the last Sunday after Pentecost. And in a sort of ideal year, it would be the 24th. But the number of Sundays after Pentecost, depending again on, the, on, on exactly when the first Sunday of Advent is, plus right. when exactly Easter happens, the exact uh, placement of that Sunday, uh, or the exact number of Sundays after, uh, after Pentecost can be as low as 23 or as high as 28. And what happens is if, it's, if, there's, if there are only 23, then, you, then the 23rd Sunday is skipped that year, and you go right to the 24th and last Sunday, which that year is going to be the 23rd Sunday after Pentecost. If, if, it, if, it, if, it's, uh, if there are more Sundays than 24, then between the 23rd Sunday and the last, whatever it is, whether it's 25, 26, 27, 28, you fill in the masses from the Sundays after the Epiphany that weren't said that year, mm -hmm. and, and they fill in the gap. Huh. So there are multiple Sundays after the Epiphany which if in a, in, a, in a year where you're going to have a lot of um, days after Easter, a, excuse me, a lot of Sundays after Pentecost, more than 24, you're going to have fewer of those days after, those Sundays after um, the Epiphany. So it's kind of like, you know, like you, 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 it's a little nip and tuck in the liturgical year, if you will. You take a little from over there and you put it over here. Interesting, and that's the that's the way the church year. It, it's kind of always somewhat floating on these various pivot points, but that's why. But 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 the proper name in the actual altar missal is the twenty fourth and last Sunday after Pentecost for yeah. for this Sunday. Now, brother, this, yeah. In other words, this Sunday meaning the one we just passed, the Sunday of this week in which we are presently. Correct. Um, now, I don't want to run out of time, and I don't want to be accused of false advertising uh, either, because I, I, I uh, kind of teased our Protestant brethren on uh, Twata and said, Brother, are we going to be discussing the rapture? Because <laughs> oh. <laughs> you said the end of time. So we're not dis we're not discussing the rapture, um, but we are discussing well, the, the reading. Yeah, you, you don't discuss things that ain't. Right, right. We're discussing the reading um, from St. Matthew, and uh, that is chapter 24. And if, um, uh, if you go to traditional Latin Mass, you get the same one every year. It's a fitting way to end, as Father Damien was saying, this is how we end the liturgical year, uh, because... It, it ultimately it's the end of all years and um, it's our Lord telling us what's going to happen um, I think everyone should read this you know regardless of what mass you go to or what service you attend read St. Matthew 24 especially where it begins at what 20 verse 21 um, um, I don't have the exact pericope uh, in my mind, but it's 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 from verse twenty four. It's from chapter twenty four, Saint Matthew. No, it begins at, at verse eleven. Uh, and many false prophets shall arise. Maybe it's the whole chapter. Uh, and many false prophets shall arise and shall seduce many. And then he he tells what's going to happen. He references Daniel the prophet, um, and I love the that that. Um, the incarnate wisdom is constantly quoting the Old Testament. So for people that, that so the New Testament, the basically the author, of the, uh, the, the, the central figure of the Gospels, is quoting the Old Testament going like, okay, I came to fulfill the, like, the prophecies and stuff. <laughs> you guys need to pay attention. This is really going to happen. And I really did assist in that being read. And, you know, Daniel and I were pretty, <laughs> is, is Daniel a book that's missing out of some Protestant Bibles? No. No, okay. The only thing that, well, parts of it are the Greek parts of Daniel, which okay. tell the, the, the steamy and salacious story of Susanna and the old perverts. Ah, the old Susanna and the old pervert story. Um, <clears throat> but in this, uh, in this reading from St. Matthew that you get at the end of the liturgical year, it does, as you say in, um, in your piece, sanctifying time as the world ends, because that's what our Lord is telling us. This is what it's going to look like. Uh, this is what is going to happen. Now, is he referring, he, he doesn't say 
antichrist here. He says false prophet, false miracles that aren't that are there. Well, he talks about false prophets. Yeah. Right. Right. Lo, there uh, he doesn't does refer to Christ. If any man shall say to you, "Lo, here is Christ," or there, do not believe him. Um, there's a lot to unpack there. I, 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 well, yeah, because you know, if you read, if you read Dom Guerinjay from the ninth Sunday after Pentecost, okay. and we have that reading on our site, and I linked to it from this piece, yep. the destruction of Jerusalem. He he talks about what happened in the destruction of Jerusalem. There were at least two false messiahs then and there. Keep in mind, there was a civil war of, of a sort going on within Jerusalem while the Romans were besieging the city. And um, there were false false uh, messiahs that had ar arisen during that time. Um, yeah, our Lord's not talking about the Antichrist. Uh, the reign of Antichrist will happen. Well, the events that he's describing in, in, in uh, the 24th chapter actually are after the reign of Antichrist. Because he's talking about the second coming. He's talking about the, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the heavens. That's the cross. The cross will appear in the, in, in the heavens. And all the nations of the earth will groan in anguish. What he's describing is not people saying, oh, look, the cross, is Jesus is coming. Yay. <laughs> because the world's not going to be in very good shape at that point. And, um, and, and th th this is something, by the way, that this is a pet peeve of mine. People are like, oh, things are so bad. It's, you know, it's, it's, uh, the, the Antichrist is just on the horizon. Well, okay, n no, because there has to be this incredible Catholicizing of the whole planet first. Then, after that, there will be a period of decadence. And by the way, that's going to be the triumph of the Immaculate Heart. We haven't had it yet. No, we haven't. And, and, I, believe, and I believe we haven't had it yet because the consecration hasn't happened yet. I think I can say definitively now, I absolutely do not believe that what was done uh, fulfilled the requirements. It can't possibly have done so because the conversion of Russia didn't happen. We've got more wars now than we did at that time. Things got worse, not better. True. And, and we should be able to triangulate from the event of the consecration to the conversion of Russia and the period of peace that was promised by Our Lady. But we haven't had the period of peace yet. We haven't had the triumph of the Immaculate Heart yet. And we haven't had the, the, one of the things that the Bible itself, more important than private revelation, tells us will happen. And that will be that this gospel will be preached to the entire world. Meaning that it will be preached efficaciously, meaning the world will be Catholic. So this hasn't happened yet. And, when the, and after this happens, then after a while there will be a period of general decadence. Think of the 13th century, you know, the, the, the apex of, of Christianity in, 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 in Christendom. St. Louis, France, right? Shortly after that, it comes into decadence. And you get that jerk Philip the Fair having his henchmen slap the Pope in the face. So, um, it, you know, man is a, you know, we're fallen and we're weak and we can have a time of great triumph and, and, and spiritual height and then fall from it so quickly. So this is what's going to happen. And you're going to get, then Antichrist will come and then he will deceive even the elect. And all the Christian Zionists and all the Jews will be in Jerusalem basically pointing to, oh, look, here's Temple Mount. Build the temple here, Christ. And that's why, by the way, that's one of the reasons why Christian Zionism is so dangerous. It's not just causing wars in the Middle East, which is bad enough. It's not just causing uh, gullible uh, American Protestants and sadly many Catholics to send blood and money to, to support these wars. It's also going to be the thing that helps to usher in the reign of Antichrist. Because the building of the next temple, which the Jews want to do and the Zionists want to support them in, the Christian Zionists want to support them in, the building of the, excuse me, the third temple, will be, that will be where Antichrist reigns from. This is not me speaking. This is not my opinion. If, I, if it were my opinion, it would be worthless. This is the fathers of the church. Antichrist will reign there. And by an extrapolation from what the fathers tell us about the third temple and the reign of Antichrist, you, you, you take what Schofield, the Schofield Reference Bible has done to people's minds, rotted them out with this stupid heresy, and you look at what the, what the, the, the Zionist Jews, who, who, you know, some of them expect the Messiah to come and rule in Israel. Most of them believe that the Jewish race is the Messiah, and that's the real evil of uh, Zionism. It denies the most Zionists historically denied the personal character of the Messiah's period. 
They think they as a race are. That's why it's so racist. And people don't understand this. That's why it's racist. It actually it fits the bill. I know racism is a term that's used way too uh, improperly uh, used, way too liberally. It's just, it's, it's 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 an accusation. But Zionism actually is racism. It's actually Nazism turned inside out. And I know that's extremely offensive. I don't say it to be offensive. I say it to be truthful. No, it's, it's Nazism turned inside out. Instead of instead of Nordic or Germanic blood being perfect, it's it's Jewish blood. All you have to do is listen carefully, but just listen to Bibi Netanyahu. And, and, then, and then just apply some logic and some critical thinking to what he says, like yesterday. And he just teed that one up for me. And then at the end of World War II, we had the end where, were you telling, are you to say that it wasn't a good thing that the Cultural Reformation that happened in Japan at the end of World War II. I'm like, oh, no, it wasn't a good thing. What is the evidence for it being a good thing? Japan was flourishing, flourishing, relatively speaking, under the emperor and under the system that they had. You, along with Stalin and Roosevelt or Truman and the rest of the Zionists, killed the Holy Roman, uh, the Holy ja uh, uh, Japanese Emperor. By the way, I used the term holy and air finger quotation marks. They think he's holy. They thought. Japan and all of the Asian Rim is an absolute, it is a human disaster. 0.84 is the high water mark. No, China leads all of Asia. Did you know that? In, in reproductive, in, 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 in fertility rate. 1.15 per fertile female. Asia is an absolute disaster. And the peninsulas, Vietnam, North Vietnam, South Vietnam, Cambodia, North Korea, South Korea, and then Japan, under the island, they are all below one. One point, what does that mean? That means that these civilizations, these people do not survive longer than a century. They have like two generations. Now, will some of them survive? Sure. Uh, will they even be, will, will Japan even be a thing? It's an absolute unmitigated disaster. Uh, the Reformation of Germany, how's that working out for you, BB? How's it working out for the rest of the world? So, just listen to, to, uh, to Netanyahu. Is, Israelis, Israelis don't reproduce very much. Nope. No, because you know, they're, they're filled with sodomites. They talk, well, but even before that, look, the glories of contraception, right? Which is basically, which is basically, um, I don't want to, I don't want to get too biological here, but, but I mean, of course, the ultimate in contraception is sodomy, but, um, but um, the, the, the fact of the matter is the Israelis, mostly secularized Jews, um, they, they, they practice, they contracept an awful lot. Well, the Palestinians don't. And why is it, you know, they're at, you know, you look at these, the, you look at these Anglo-Protestant uh, pro-Israel folks who talk about how, how the, the, the Palestinians reproduce. You can just, you can see through the rhetoric of they've bought into the contraceptive mentality. Well, you know, as I pointed out before, like the Muslims are going to outpopulate us. I'm like, you know, the fact that these poor infidels know how to make babies and we forgot how <laughs> that's not their fault that's, that's not. ours that's our exactly. fault exactly now I, I realize I'm, I'm getting I'm like yelling here so but um, it, 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 it does make me very passionate about this it, it's western if western man dies if the Irish get uh, outpopulated to, to, to talk about something very timely these riots going on in Ireland if the Irish get outpopulated by, by Muslims in Ireland, it's because of two things. Number one, a very stupid um, immigration policy. And by the way, there is a certain element of people who sponsor these policies and push them all across Europe so that Muslims can go into Europe. Mm -hmm. And We can name them. They're the banker class people. Okay. As Sean Sharp um, calls them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when that and and that and that's that's documentable, right? That's documentable. Completely. So they use the 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 Muslims as a weapon against as sort of the scourge of God against Christians. And I, let me say that we deserve it. We deserve it. We deserve to be punished for our sins. And that's how God works in history. He sends these people in to punish, and then they end up converting. Think of the Vandals. Think of think of all of Europe. 
the different tribes, the different, whether it's the Ostrogoths or the Visigoths, whether it's the Saxons, the Jutes, the Engels, any of these tribes that were heathenish, that invaded some, heck, the Irish themselves, they were the scourge of Great Britain during the time of King Arthur. Arthur, the Dux Ballorum, was defending the, the British uh, against the Irish. And no offense to the Irish, they were heathen at the time, right? These are the Druids, these are the, these are the, the, the really dark pagans. And they were invading the British mainland. And what, what, so what's, what's the problem? Well the, well, the problem was they weren't Christian, they were heathen, and they were running over the Irish. And the, and the Roman army had just left because, hey, fall of the Roman Empire in the West, you know, 476 or thereabouts, right? It was, it was a slow fall. The, the, the point is that um, God's a, providence throughout history works the evangelization of nations in, in, in very, it's not a neat process. No. Okay, so I'm reading this phenomenal Carthusian spiritual book, Mike. And this morning, there's this gorgeous meditation for a few pages on God's wisdom, that we must adore God's wisdom. And it says this, God is order. God is so much order that he brings things out, he brings order out of things that we see as only disordered. Hmm. And we, until we leave this veil of tears and see from a higher perspective, we won't see how profoundly ordered things actually are. At the time of, that the Vandals invaded uh, North Africa and destroyed Roman North Africa, which was Christian at the time of St. Augustine. St. Augustine was literally on his deathbed when this happened. When I said the Vandals, excuse me. Genseric's Goths. When Genseric led the Goths into... You know, the Goths, not the people that dress funny and, and have an attitude problem, but the actual ancient Goths. Not black painted fingernails. Yeah, exactly. Pale faced girls and stuff with black right. fingernails. When, when, when the Goths invaded um, uh, North Africa, that was the death of Af North Africa. There were people who were, oh, it's the end of the world. They were saying it's the end of the world. And the attitude of, of the, the real Christians among them was, no, let's evangelize these people. And. Um, now, it, it, now, what ended up happening was the Augustinians uh, and the city of God ended up getting relocated to Europe and gave them the blueprint for Christendom, the city of God. But, uh, and so when Charlemagne comes along, you know, whatever, almost 400 years later, he's reading the city of God and saying, I want to make this happen. Actually, it's funny, he was illiterate, but he knew Greek. <laughs> uh, so he had people reading to him from St. Augustine every day, the... the, the um, not that that's in Greek, but he did know Greek. Uh, What's the Carthusian book? The Carthusian book, is, uh, it's called The Prayer of the Presence of God, and it's by Dom Augustine Guilherand. And it is beautiful, but, but, he, but he makes this point about order coming out. It's not order ab chaos, which is a Freemasonic thing, but he's saying God is so much order that we, things that we see only disorder in, he they're fit into his order. It's, it's, it, it, I like to say it like this. If you're looking at a painting really, really up close, like some gigantic, gorgeous, Baroque masterpiece, and you're looking at one little tiny spot of it, and that's the spot of history that you happen to be living in, and it's a spot, you don't see the big picture. You don't see the, the gorgeous chiaroscuro, you know, the, the interplay of darkness and light on this gorgeous canvas, because you don't see the whole picture. We can't possibly see the whole picture from the divine perspective. We get hints of it. We get hints of it. But on the last day, those of us who are among the elect, God willing, we all be, everybody, everybody listening to my voice here and, and myself, um, mm. we will see the big picture. We will see it. All right. Speaking of big pictures, what's on the big picture uh, reconquest tonight? The big picture <coughs> of reconquest tonight is part two of... Uh, the the Union of Brest-Litovsk. It's an only it's only a two part thing. I didn't want to extend it to three parts, but um, yeah, the the it's part two of the, the my uh, reading through an explanation of the document which you can say historically basically created what we now know as the Ukrainian Catholic Church, which is the largest of the Eastern Rites, somewhere between six and ten million souls. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it's the largest 
You know, it's interesting. I like to say it this way. The Ukrainian Catholic Church is the largest of all of the Eastern Christian um, churches that are, uh, that are under the Pope, right? The Sui Uris churches within Catholicism that are of the Eastern Rite. The Russian Orthodox Church is by far the largest body of Orthodox believers. The Patriarch of Constantinople basically has, uh, you know, like Father, Father O'Boyle's parish. I mean, he doesn't have that large of, of a following compared to the Patriarch of Moscow. And by the way, um, okay, tangent, but Mike, the, 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 I, you know, if, I've been thinking a lot about the Middle East and how could we actually have peace, aside from our Lord himself imposing it there. Um, the Russian Orthodox Patriarch, Brother Francis told me that when he went into the homes of Orthodox Christian believers in his native country of Lebanon mm -hmm. when he was young, he said you'd see a picture of, aside from the icons on the walls, you'd see a picture of one living person on the wall and that person was not the Patriarch of Constantinople, it was the Patriarch of Moscow. There's in his, and, and, and keep in mind that the Russian, um, that Putin actually thought he had to protect the Christians in Syria. So there's, a, there's actually some basis for saying that the, the, the Russians could actually help peace to come in the Middle East. I'm not saying Putin will, I'm not, I'm, and I'm not a Putin fan. He's a brutal dictator, of, brother. Well, okay, so, all right, all right. So there is such a thing as, you know, something between extremes. So I don't, I remember, I'm, I'm against white and, and black hats, uh, except in cowboy movies. And I think we don't need to slap a white hat or a black hat on the man. Well, I just think um, that President Putin is a very complicated historical figure. And he's uh, also, and I, and I, I think he's pro-Russian, which it'd be nice if we actually had leadership in our country. That I don't have a problem with a Russian being pro-Russian. No, I don't. It's it's natural. It's good. I don't know why we don't have any Americans that are pro-American outside of Donald Trump. No, because we have as globalists. Yeah, no, no, but, we're, we're we're not even globalists. We're Israeliists. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, mean, literally, yeah. they're talking about, oh, if we have to send our soldiers over there, like like Mike Parrott says, you're not, I'm not fighting, I didn't join the U.S. Marine Corps to fight for Mossad. It's the yeah. United States Marine Corps. It is not the Tel Aviv Marine Corps, or yeah. whatever you wish to to call it. Um, <clears throat> I, I had a, a just a, a sidebar. If you want to see a movie about that era at the as the Romans are trying to retreat, out of England, and St. Patrick hasn't come to Ireland uh, yet. Um, watch um, Channing Tatum's Iron Eagle. It's called Iron Eagle. And it's about because the English also had a problem with these monsters called the Picts that painted themselves blue and were cannibals. So it wasn't just the Irish that were that were landing and were causing all kinds of problems for the people, <laughs> the uh, the Anglo's. It was also the you know the Picts, Hadrian's Wall. Why did Hadrian build a wall? <laughs> yeah, because he did what Saint Columba, what Saint uh, he he couldn't do what Saint Columba could do, and that is go into. Um, Scotland and convert these people you know, and make them Christians. Talk about a story. By the way, you know why they're called the Picts, right? No, I do not. Because the, Rom the Romans named them that. They didn't call themselves that. The Romans named them that because they were Picta, that is to say, painted. Painted, okay. Yeah, and they had, they had stopped doing that for like probably a thousand years by the time uh, Mel, uh, Mel Gibson comes along. By the time um, <laughs> the, the, the actual historical f figure of uh, w William um, Wallace comes around. And he starts painting his face blue. Remember, they made that remark in the movie. Like, he's, he's returned to the old ways of painting the face. <laughs> they weren't doing that. They were like, that's crazy, you know. Um, uh, you know, that'd, that'd be like, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know what it would be like. But it would be like, you know, so, some people from certain places just like suddenly putting bones in their noses. Like, yeah, my ancestors used to do this. I think I'll do this. Yeah, it's an amazing thing. Uh, the, uh, someone should tell the story of St. Columba. You always hear about St. Patrick. I mean, you hear St. Columba, but nobody tells the story. Um, yeah. That's a phenomenal story to be told. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I said something bad about the Irish when they were bad, when they were pagans. But now I'll say something good about them. They were the only ones who could take on the Scots and the Picts, which, by the way, were two different, two different groups. And the Scots actually were ancient Irishmen who had relocated to Scotland because the original name of Ireland was Scotia. 
That's right. Um, I, so there, there's a fun fact for you. Uh, but, but don't um, give up on the Irish people just yet, as Paul Macquarie said. The, 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 the people of Ireland aren't Irish. They're Catholic. They always, and they have been since St. Patrick. Have they fallen away? Are, have there been better Catholic times? Yes. It's a bad situation. Land that has been consecrated and claimed for Christ can always be reclaimed and consecrated for Christ. And if these lunatics push these white boys like Conor McGregor, you don't want to corner these guys. You push them too far to where they think that Ireland is going to start looking like Jakarta. Um, and yeah, there will be some fighting in the streets. They fought for less. And maybe they learned a lesson when the English, you know, kind of came in and stole all their potatoes and stuff. That well, oh no, that's not going to happen again. Well, what's uh -uh. happened to them now is not just that the globalists are letting in, letting in all the all the um, Muslims. It's it's. I mean, they sold out to Google. Sure, so, literally to Google. No, they have to, literally. You're other right. You know, the, the Celtic tiger brought them prosperity, and prosperity didn't do much for the Irish. No. There's a book written. It's a guy named John Waters. I forget. E. Michael Jones used to interview him a lot. His name and is John Waters. Book, That's right. He wrote a book called "Bring Us Back Our Old," "Bring Us Back Our Bad Roads." He's a convert. Kevin Turley knows him. Okay, yeah, yes. well, he's a revert. I mean, because revert, he, revert. He's, he's a revert. Catholic. Right, yeah, right, I mean, right. He's a revert. Sinead O'Connor did him did him a bad deed, and I think that's what brought him back to the faith, perhaps. Uh, brother, get back to school. Uh, great uh, segment here on Wisdom Wednesday. We shall see you for the first Wednesday in Advent next week, if I can talk. <laughs> I, I hope you can, Mike. Yes. All right. No, uh, <clears throat> it will get better. Go, 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 go have a go have a hot toddy afterwards. Bur bourbon, honey, lemon juice. Uh, that's just what my doctor just texted me and said. I order you bourbon, honey, lemon. Go. <laughs> well, yeah. I, my I doctor's actually, name I, is Mac. I, I, read, I read your doctor's text. I know. I saw her script. Yeah. yeah. All right, Michael. Well, God, the God bless you, brother. It's at the pharmacy being filled right now. So. <laughs> well, right. God bless you, and God bless all our listeners. Okay, brother. Thank and you. See you. See you next year. See you next year. That's, that's right. You know what? We, uh, we that's, let's get that right. I will see you next liturgical year, brother. That's right. All right. Abiento, frère. A bientôt.